So we've come to our third part um, on our extinction um, prevention um, seminar this evening. As the people of God, how do we stop extinction of Christianity, of disciples gathered together in churches of God, which we believe is the blueprint in the Bible for how Christians ought to uh, live their lives of worship and service and fellowship together. So what's the problem? Well, I guess a lot of people think that there's been a steady decline in numbers and churches of churches of God. From a highlight back in the early part of the 20th century, it's gone down and down and down and down until there's almost no churches of God left. That's not actually true. Um, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But that's the impression that we get. And we need to perhaps just bear that. Uh, if we've got that idea, let's just pause and hold the thought for a little bit later. The other problem, of course, is what we see around us very often is no growth, no new people, and perhaps no commitment from existing people. That's a real, real issue, isn't it? Um, this affects us and affects our churches. Some churches have outreach that doesn't produce any results. So they're constantly working with people, but none of those people ever respond, ever do anything, ever come to church, or come into the church. And so that's another issue. And perhaps some churches don't have any outreach activities at all. They're just coming to remember the Lord and pray and go away again. And perhaps in some, some of our churches, we might perceive a low level of spiritual life. Now, I'm painting a particular picture, you understand that. But that could be the problem. And if it is, I'm going to suggest to you that's a problem of the West. And we use that in inverted commas because that includes the United Kingdom, Australia, North America, and Europe. Because it isn't true in all parts of the churches of God. And it isn't true, as I've already said, that the churches of God are in eternal decline and that we've, lost, we've got less churches now than we've ever had and less people than we've ever had. That is not true. But it is a problem that we can see. It's a problem that we can perceive as a problem that affects us in this part of the world. These figures are approximate. So don't go away and count them up and tell me I've made a mistake, because I might have done. There's approximately 126 churches of God in 16 countries. And that makes us a very, very small group, doesn't it? That's a very, very small group. But that's roughly where we are in terms of the world. And there's still more churches of God in the United Kingdom than anywhere else in, in the world. Approximately 40 churches of God in the U UK. The next biggest area is Nigeria with 22. And then India with 16. Then Malawi with 13. And then the Philippines with 10. That's, that's the area where we're strongest throughout the world. So what's the problem? That's the problem. But in the United Kingdom, that number is a declining number. It's a, it's a growing number in Nigeria, it's a growing number in India, it's a growing number in Malawi, it's a growing number in the Philippines, but it's a declining number in the United Kingdom. There are more churches of God today than there have ever been. There are more people in churches of God today than there have ever been. Unless they ever been. I'm not sure what the right back really be any, but certainly going back to the early part of the 20th century. <coughs> but where we live, in our neck of the woods, that's not something we can see because we are in the area where we are declining. 
So that's the problem, isn't it? The problem is the perceived and very real decline of churches of God in the West, in the United Kingdom, in Australia, in North America, and places like that. It's a problem for us, it's a problem about us, and we really need to ask ourselves, can we do anything about it? Well, I'm going to suggest there's three factors that we need to consider in respect to this. The first factor is that God is sovereign. That means, in very simple language, God can do whatever he likes, wherever he likes. The second thing is the condition of God's people, that's you and me. And the third thing is the environment in which we find ourselves. Liverpool and Lee and Manchester and Wigan and the places where we're uh, living and worshipping and witnessing. Two of those we can't do anything about. We certainly can't do anything about the sovereignty of God. And we can't do anything about the environment in which we live. But one of them we can do something about. So let's look at the first one then. God is sovereign. Let's never lose sight of that. God is God. By definition, he can do whatever he likes. The only thing God can't do are things which are intrinsically impossible or things that he's committed himself not to do. So he's never going to send any of us who believe in him to eternal damnation because he's promised on his own life that he will not do that. So there are some things God will not do because he's promised not to do them and there are some things God can't do because they're intrinsically impossible to be done. But outside of that, God can do anything he likes. <coughs> Sometimes God just acts. Around about 1904, there was a revival in Wales. It came from nowhere. The Holy Spirit just revived <coughs> dead sinners and brought them to Christ. He revived dead Christians who were just going through the motions and brought them back to life again. And for a short while, Wales was spiritually on fire because all <coughs> those people were desperate for the Bible desperate for salvation, desperate to get to church, desperate to hear things from God. They were clamoring to get let them in outside the churches, banging on the doors to let them in. They wouldn't go home when the services were over. And it was amazing. It was a work of God. There's no other way to describe it. It just happened because God decided in 1904 to grant a spiritual revival to Wales. And the people in Wales didn't bring it about. The people in the United Kingdom didn't bring it about. The pastors who were pastoring the churches didn't bring it about. God just did it. And God is entitled to do that. He is God. And sometimes he does that. And we can't make him. But we can cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is active. And he's active in your life and in my life and in your church and in my church. So we need to consider whether we are cooperating with what the Holy Spirit is doing. Or are we getting in the way? of what the Holy Spirit would like to do in our churches. The second thing to consider is the condition of God's people. That's you and that's me. What are we like as Christians? How are we cooperating with God? Are we people that God can use in his service? Are we in a good spiritual condition? Are you? Am I? There's an interesting verse here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And this, the context of this was when Solomon was dedicating the temple. So it was a high point. Everything was great. They got a new temple. They got a king who loved the Lord. They got everything going fine. And God said at the time, now listen, I know 
that eventually the things are not going to be like this. And they will do wrong things. And when they do wrong things, I will judge them. And I will bring drought and famine and problems upon the area. And then he says these interesting things. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Wasn't that amazing? This is to a people who are in good spiritual condition, but God is looking ahead and saying, the time will come when you will not be. And I will promise you, if you humble yourself, seek me, pray, repent, I will come in and I will bless. That's our God. He wants to bless us. He wants to work with us. So, let's ask ourselves the questions. Are we living holy lives? Are we giving cheerfully of our time and our money? Do we love the Word of God? Do we pray for one another? Do we hate the immorality and the ungodliness that's all around us? As I typed those into my computer, I felt a bit ugh, because some of them I couldn't really answer with a really clear conscience because I have to be honest, I'm not 100% at any of those. And maybe that's the problem in my life, maybe that's the problem in our lives, that we're not at that point, or certainly I'm not at that point in every way. And that comes about at personal cost. And sometimes we don't, we're not prepared to pay that cost, are we? You've got a busy life, you've got a, a demanding job, you've got a demanding family. What are you, when are you going to fit time in to read God's word and pray? Well, you're not. Unless you make time. That cost could be getting up half an hour early in the morning to read God's word. Or it could be coming home from work a little bit early, overcoming a bit of overtime to read God's word. Or it may be switching the television off to read God's word. But there'll be a cost involved to doing it. Are we prepared to pay that cost? Or does a, a, a day without God's word become a week without God's word, become a month without God's word, become a year without God's word? Are we going through the motions? Just flicking it open and grabbing a verse here and a verse there. That won't do the job we need to read and get into God's word. And all the other things as well. Praying for one another. Praying for things. And then there's us collectively. That's us as individuals. Collectively, do we look forward to worship? You know, you can tell when people are looking forward to something. They talk about it. Yeah, I'm going to see Santa. I've got this, I've got this holiday lined up. And we like that with our worship. Because you can't wait for Sunday morning. Because we go into God's presence. Are we really like that? Are we excited about ministry? Can't wait to be there on Wednesday night because somebody opens the word of God for us and brings us something from God's word. Do we long to be at the prayer meeting? Are we banging on the doors to let us in so we can get on with praying to God? This great privilege. Do we really value time to fellowship together? Really, really disappointed when somebody doesn't come because they're not there, and really disappointed if something gets in the way that we can't be with God's people. Are we enthusiastic in reaching out to other people? A personal cost. Of course, it will cost us something to be at these things. Are we enthusiastic? Does it does it matter to us, or is it just one of those things? And maybe. If on the personal level, or on the collective level, if we have to be honest and say, well, not really, uh, 
you know, take it, can take it or leave it. If I'm not there at ministry meeting, I can take it or leave it, prayer meeting. I go there when I can, but you know, I'm busy. If that's our attitude, then maybe that explains a little bit why we're not getting blessing. And then third thing is the environment which we're in. Now, I said at the beginning, we can't do anything about the sovereignty of God, and we can't do anything about the environment that we're in. But I think the environment that we're in is, is important. The Lord Jesus was in an environment, and this is what he said. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. And another um, Matthew records uh, in his hometown, when he went back to his hometown, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. The Lord Jesus was in a hostile environment and it affected his ability to do work. There's nothing wrong with the Lord Jesus, nothing wrong with his miracles, nothing wrong with his spiritual tone. Of course there was, he was the Son of God. But he was in an environment where he couldn't do things because of the, that environment, because it was a host, spiritually hostile and enthusiastic <coughs> environment. So it's not always our fault in the environment. In the UK, and I was looking up some of these surveys that were already mentioned, and I'm glad that mine agrees with what David said, less than 40% now identify as Christian in the United Kingdom. We do not live in a Christian country. As David said, this is a secular country. Over 50% say they never pray. And the as David already pointed out, 52% say they have no religious faith whatsoever. That is the environment that you and I live in. That's the environment in which your church building is situated. That's the environment of the people in this street and around Liverpool Hall and around Manchester Hall. That's, that's what it is. That's the environment. Alistair Campbell famously said, when, he was in, when somebody asked him about Tony Blair's uh, faith back in the day, we don't do God. What a statement. We don't do God. It's a famous statement, but it makes the point. We're the, we're the government. There was a Labour government at the time. We are the government, and we manage very well, but we don't let God into it. Keep God out at all costs, because that doesn't work. There's an intolerance for biblical Christianity. Everything else is, we're supposed to be tolerant for. As David said, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, no matter how much or little they know about the subject and everyone entitled to think and say unless it's biblical Christianity that is not tolerated and not acceptable so we can't make God do anything if God chooses to bless us and sometimes he does sometimes a church of God will suddenly get a couple of adult visitors coming in and getting saved and being baptised and joining them that's the work of God sometimes we are flogging away at a particular work and God brings somebody from another area in and blesses them in that way. And sometimes we get nothing at all after years and years of work. But what, our, our, um, what we've got to do is to be faithful to what God has given us to do. So we continue to work with the young people. We continue to work with the computer Day. We continue to work with the mums and toddlers. We continue to work in our Sunday, Sunday schools and our evening services and whatever we find to do, even if there's no response. But here's some of the reasons why there might not be a response. Because we're living in a world 
that genuinely doesn't care and isn't interested. So what should we do? We should prioritise. I need to prioritise. I need to make a more of an effort in my own personal life for the things that really matter. I need to put God first in my life. I need to put God first in my church life. And my church needs to put God first in its collective life. And if we did that, and if I did that as an individual, and we did that as churches, maybe things would change. We need to be really up for praise and worship. Our remembrance should be something which is so important to us that we never ever miss it unless we were ill or some disaster and calamity had come upon us. We should always be up for the prayer meeting. Isn't it strange that we get churches where there could be 100 people at the remembrance and only 22 at the prayer meeting? Why? It doesn't make any sense, but it sometimes is the case. And then there's preparation for outreach activities. They don't just happen by themselves. If a church is doing something, you and I have got to be prepared to put time in to doing them. People who run youth clubs put time into it. People who run computer workshops put time into it. People who, go, who, who teach children in Sunday schools put time into it. We've got to be prepared to make that time. And if we're not, we can't expect God to bless us. And we need to have time for preaching and teaching. Do you, do I, regularly look forward to being under God's word and hearing what God has to say to me? We need to. If we don't, we'll be in trouble. The Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Wouldn't it be awful if we stood before the Lord and he said, you neglected my things. I brought you into churches of God and you neglected the things I've given to you. And we read in Hebrews 3 verse 6, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Our relationship with the Lord Jesus as Christians, as Christian people for salvation, has nothing to do with us at all. God saves us and we've got that forever. And no matter what we do, we'll never lose that. But our position as God's house, as God's people, is, con is contingent on us doing something, maintaining confidence and hope in what we do, in going into God's presence on a Sunday morning, in being together. And when we're in that building and we're praying that we are actually talking to the Almighty through His Son, the Lord Jesus. And then in Hebrews 3 we read, So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. And then we read in Revelation 2, and this always sends a shiver through my spine when I read it. It's the seven letters and it's the one to Ephesus, of course. Yet, the risen Christ... Yet I hold this against you, you being a church of God. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The Lord Jesus invites us to repent of putting other things before him. I need to repent of that. I suggest many of us need to repent of that. So, to do that. Um, so, extinction prevention, we've thought about the planet, we've thought about purpose for young people, and finally we've thought together about God's purpose for us in churches of God, which are not going extinct in the world. There's more churches of God today, but in this country, we're up against it, aren't we? The church is closing, 
and smallness. <laughs>